welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome. My name is Jenna. If we haven't met, I'm the executive pastor here at Awaken. I'm curious, just anecdotally, raise your hand if you have gotten sick or know someone who's been sick in the last couple weeks. Yeah, there it is. We had a fall retreat last weekend, and it was so much fun. We went up to Covenant Pines, and I think we're calling it the super spreader event. Um, And that is weirdly funny now. (laughs) For a while, that wasn't very funny. Anyways, it was a great time, but most of our staff, I think one was spared, um, had a little something this week, but we're really glad to be together. Um, Today is Sacred Sunday, so once a month we take down the screen and we use bulletins, so if you need one of those, we have some folks walking around or you can grab one in the back, Um, and we use that as our guide. Um, This morning, I'm on for a call to worship. Our call to worship is from the First Nations version of scripture, so kind of in honor of Indigenous Peoples Day this week. Um, And this is, I guess, the version of, um, I'm having a brain fart. What, the the Father's Prayer, what, the Lord's Prayer. (laughs) Like, how many times in my life have I referred to the Lord's Prayer? Today I forgot it. Um, So if you are able, would you stand um, and receive, I think, the beauty of these words in this translation. I hope we can hear it a little fresh. Instead, when you send your voice to the Great Spirit, here is how you should pray. O Great Spirit, our Father from above, we honor your name as sacred and holy. Bring your good road to us where the beauty of your ways in the spirit world above is reflected on the earth below. Provide for us day by day the elk, the buffalo, the salmon, the corn, the squash, and the wild rice, all things we need for each day. Release us from the things we have done wrong in the same way we release others for doing things wrong to us. Guide us away from the things that tempt us to stray from your good road and set us free from the evil one and his worthless ways. Aho, may it be so. Remember, our Father from the spirit world above will release you from wrongdoings in the same manner you release others from theirs. But if you fail to release others, this keeps your Father, the Creator, from releasing you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Uh, Matt Berry and the band will be leading us this morning. Let's sing. Okay. As we come back together here, um, (laughs) I'm really struggling today to find words. (laughs) I'm Jenna again. I'm like, I have to introduce myself. Jenna, you did that already. She's a mess up here. (laughs) Um, Well, I wanted to go through a couple of things that are happening at Awaken. If you are visiting or new 
special welcome to you. It's a really big deal to visit a church for the first time. If anyone is interested in connecting at Awaken, you can fill out a connection card that's either in front of you or there's a QR code in the pews that you can scan and that will bring you to a digital one. Someone from our staff will contact you. We would love to take you out for a beverage of your choice and get to know you a little bit better. Um, any tithes or offerings can go into the black boxes by each of the doors, um, or you can give online through that QR code as well. Um, as far as what's happening in the life of Awaken, there are so many things. A couple of things to highlight, though. October 22nd, so that's two weeks from now, um, we are hosting a sacred sites tour. So Jim Bear Jacobs, he's a local activist and faith leader in the Twin Cities um, is with the Minnesota Council of Churches. And so what they do is they bring people around to different sacred indigenous sites right in our area. So Fort Snelling is one, Pilot Knob Road. We did this last year, um, probably one of the more powerful experiences um, people have had. So we would love for you to participate in that. Connected to that, we have a learning lab that will be starting the following week. So October 29th, that will be virtual. So Randy Woodley, who's also an indigenous faith leader, activist, speaker, author, um, will be hosting that via Zoom. It's entitled Shalom as a Foundation for Living. So that is really exciting. You can register for both of those events on the website. October 27th and 29th, we have an artist retreat coming up. So that's partnered with Art House North just across the way. Um, so if you're a creative, that is an event for you. This year it will be focused on the artist and mental health. Rumor has it that a one Melody Olson will be a featured guest speaker, um, which she is starting a new practice. So there's some information um, in the Awaken Weekly on that, if that's of interest to you at all. Um, Trunk or Treat is happening October 29th. So this is an event we host for the neighborhood. And we are looking for people who want to decorate their trunk and pass out candy to kids. It'll be one to three. You can register online for that. Um, it's so fun. And the kids are just so excited. So highly recommend. Um, and then finally, no Mondays with Micah tomorrow morning. If that means something to you, you know. <laughs> um, and then I just wanted to make note of my situation here. Um, this is going to be my last week before I'm officially on leave. Yeah, big deal. Um, so I wanted to let you know a little bit of what's happening. Um, I shared this at the annual meeting a few months back, so some of you already know, but Art Morrow, um, the chair of our board, He's kind of taking a break from the board, um, but he's filling in for me for 20 weeks, um, which is amazing. We are in great hands. He will be doing a lot of the day-to-day -day stuff that I do, um, and then some things that he's just really good at that I'm not. So that'll be great. And then Kathy Solomon will be um, kind of overseeing care. So just so you all know, and maybe I just want to say thank you. I don't know what I expected, oh man. But there's just been so much support. And you gave me 20 weeks, which is like 
unprecedented in some ways. It shouldn't be, but it is. So I, yeah, feel like I'm just walking in relieved. Um, and I'm really going to miss you. That will be hard. But also, I guess he's more important. Um, anyway, so super grateful. I'm going to stop talking about myself um, and introduce uh, Steph Williams, O'Brien. Steph has been around Awaken for a very long time. She's a friend, companion, mentor. She is a pastor over at Mill City in Northeast Minneapolis, and we have the privilege of hearing from her this morning. So please welcome Steph. Well, I think that everyone else will miss you too, Jenna. You will, right? <laughs> Jenna's incredible. Um, well, it is, it's a huge privilege to be here. I go way back, like Jenna said, with her and with Micah and like half of you. So it's great to be here with all of you. Uh, what a privilege. Apparently, we need Micah to go walk around somewhere so that I get a chance to come be with you. So I'm so glad. I'm so grateful. Um, today, I want to talk about uh, the beginning of the book of Mark. So if you have a Bible or an app, that's where we're going to be. But I want to start out with a, a story. And mm, it's not a story I'm proud of, but it's just a reality. My husband and I decided a couple years ago to go uh, glamping, glamping, which I think just means fancy camping, if you don't know, uh, in Arizona in November. This sounds like a great plan. If you're from Minnesota, you should go to Arizona in November and go glamping. What I didn't know, because I'm from Minnesota, is that if you go glamping in the mountains in November, it might be very cold. Very cold. And it turns out that the night we were going glamping and had put the deposit on the special little tents and all that with the special blankets, it was going to be six degrees. And I'm, I am only a glamper, not a camper, <laughs> even in Minnesota. So it was a tough one for me. And uh, I got all of those little hot hands things, like 20 of them, and then borrowed somebody's like fancy sleeping bag and all that. Anyway, so we get there and then we get into the car and I put this fancy glamping site into the GPS and we start driving. I had just Googled it because it was a fancy glamping place. And we're on our way there and all of a sudden it seems as I look around like we're getting deeper and deeper into the wilderness. And I'm thinking, I'm not sure this is right. When I looked at it on the map, it didn't seem like we would go deeper into trees. We should be coming into a clearing. And I keep thinking the clearing's going to come up. At some point, it's going to come up. And then as I look at the GPS, it just, like, stops and starts kind of going in this, like, random, like, there's nothing there. Yet there's still, like, multiple paths in front of us. And it was at that moment that I realized, I think there was an email about putting the GPS coordinates in instead of Googling the camping site. And so thus, we had not followed instructions, and we ended up in the middle of the wilderness. It's starting to get dark, and I have no idea where we are, and the coordinates are not going into the GPS because we are now out of service, like completely out of range. And I'm feeling like such a millennial because I don't know how to get out of the woods without a GPS. Anyway, long story short, we did ex eventually get out of there. We finally found our way back, and we got to the campsite right as it was getting dark, I did not sleep at all. It was so cold. I was freezing the entire night. And those hot hands things only work for like three hours, just FYI. Um, but I tell you that story because I think about it all the time when I think about this world today and what it's like for us to try to follow Jesus in this world. 
I, I feel like it's the perfect illustration that we're in a wilderness with a GPS that used to work and now it doesn't work anymore. To me, that's what it feels like trying to follow Jesus in, in the days that seemingly feel increasingly complex. Today feels more complex than it did yesterday. And, and the day before, and the day before. And so I, I guess my, what I'm proposing to you today is that the world is becoming increasingly complex and it's becoming more and more challenging then to follow the way of Jesus in the world today. And the good news is, and the hard news, is that God's word has this theme of wilderness throughout. The people trying to discover a way in the wilderness to figure out what it looks like to follow Yahweh and then to follow Jesus and then to be led by the Spirit. And so as we think about this, I think what it means is that it takes a certain type of resilience to be a disciple of Jesus today. And so I bring up these questions. What does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus in 2023 in the increasingly complex days? How do we follow Jesus in an increasingly complex world? And how do we kind of cut through the wilderness to see what God is doing and to have a dependence on the Holy Spirit and see the invitations of the Spirit? These are the questions I bring up today. And I want us to look at Mark 1 as a way to just dig into those questions. The story of Jesus here in Mark is told by one of his early followers, John Mark. And even in the first few chapters of Mark, you can see there's this emphasis in this specific gospel on the way of Jesus or the way of discipleship. Uh, you can look through here and you can see that if you are reading it in Greek, which I cannot read Greek, but I do know that the original manuscripts are in Greek and the word for disciple is mathetes. And it's coming from the Hebrew word talmid. And it literally means learner. Perhaps the most direct translation some of you might know would probably be like apprentice. But the truth is, is that today in our dominant culture here in North America, there isn't a lot of discipling of other people in this way. And so we have to think about what did that mean to them then and what does that mean for us now? And so in the first century, choosing to follow a rabbi wasn't necessarily determining a school of thought that you agreed with the same intellectual concepts. It wasn't merely that. It wasn't that it was somebody who you just said, well, they have these positions on these different things and I'm in their camp on those positions. It wasn't actually totally that. It really was a mathetes choosing to imitate their rabbi's way of life, totally and completely. So one of the boldest statements that some of you maybe have memorized that Jesus makes in John 14, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. So if Jesus says he is the way, then the disciples are taking up his way. So Jesus sends out his disciples empowered by the Holy Spirit after he physically leaves this earth. We're in the, think about the beginning of the church. And some of you may know that the very early phrase that the people who followed Jesus called themselves was people of the way. People of the way. Or just the way. For the first hundred years or so, the people who followed Jesus in the early church did not refer to themselves as Christians. In fact, that was a term that was given to them by some of the powerful people in Antioch trying to figure out what to call these strange people. Because typically we had called people by their nationality, but these people were multiple nationalities. And what are these strange people doing caring so radically for the poor and coming alongside each other in such radical ways, loving their neighbor even if they didn't receive that love in return, becoming family across ethnic bar barriers? They had never seen anything like it. And so they started to call them Christians or little Christs. And at that time, though, the people following Jesus continued to call themselves the way. And we see where they initially got this concept of calling themselves the way 
echoed right away in the first part of Mark. So I'm just going to read the first three verses of Mark. This is how Mark, the follower of Jesus, John Mark, starts out his gospel. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Mark is kind of a straight to the point kind of guy. Like if you read through Mark, there's no way this guy lived in anything that could be similar to the Midwest. Like very direct. Like notice at the beginning of this gospel, if you know about the other gospels, like he doesn't start with sweet baby Jesus. There's no cute angels or animals or anything nice and silent nighty at all. Like he just comes right out with a fiery prophet Isaiah. Actually, he's kind of doing a mashup here of Malachi and Isaiah. Malachi 3.1, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. Isaiah 43, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So Jesus does a first, first century mashup here, uh, Mark does, to, to talk about what Jesus is going to do. Okay, The early Jesus followers saw themselves as echoed by those prophets. And this is what Mark is trying to say. The early followers of Jesus, his audience, as they were listening to this, as well as some of the Roman people, they were listening to this and they were seeing there, this is the history of why we even call ourselves the way. Because of those prophets who had said that there would be a way made, and John the Baptist starts this, he makes the way, but they too saw themselves joining in so closely to the mission of Jesus that they were participating in preparing a way for the reign of Jesus in the world. So they were taking up the way of Jesus, but they were also making a way for Jesus in the world. Another way that we might say is what they were, they were joining in ushering the kingdom on earth, the renewal of all things, right? They were people who lived the way of their rabbi, but they also made a way in the wilderness for what Jesus was doing, would do among them. So there are people who live the way and make way. Mark continues to the rest of this chapter. Uh, he kind of goes through main events. So if you, if you haven't dug into Mark a lot, this guy is like, I call him quick plot Mark. So he just goes fast, really, really fast. So let me tell you what happens. No mincing words, just like I said, he's from the East Coast or something. I don't know. Somebody from the East Coast, you tell me if you think Mark's one of your guys. So this is what happens, okay? I'm going to tell you these scenes, these like very quick scenes, if you follow along in Mark 1. Scene 1, Jesus' cousin John, known as John the Baptizer, starts to give people this heads up that someone was going to come behind him who wasn't going to baptize with water, but with the Holy Spirit. So John the Baptist. Scene 2, boom, Jesus is on the scene. We're in verse 9 already. Adult Jesus, not baby Jesus, remember? And he gets baptized by John with water. But then all of a sudden, in that scene, the Holy Spirit... And the Father show up, right? And now here we are in verse 11 of Mark, and we're already giving this shout out to the Trinity. I mean, we are going quickly here. And then we see another scene. Mark explains that the Spirit sent Jesus into the wilderness where he didn't eat for 40 days. This is all happening in that we're, we're, we're still this in the very beginning. We're in verse 11. Verse 12. And then it says that Jesus had multiple encounters with Satan, but it's okay because I quote, he was with the wild animals and the angels. <laughs> this is why I don't go camping. Like, this is terrible. This sounds like a wilderness camping nightmare, like way worse than the one I even had 
Who knows what the temperature was, but this sounds terrible. 40 days, 40 nights, not eating, etc. Wilderness nightmare. And then, boom, we keep going. Mark keeps going. Then you thought it couldn't get any worse, and cousin John gets thrown into jail. All right? This is all happening in the first 14 verses of Mark. All of those things happen. Uh, John the Baptist, Jesus baptized, Trinity shout out, wilderness nightmare, cousin John in jail. And now we're at verse 14. Okay, that's it. And here is where we hit the statement that most scholars say is the main point of the rest of the story from Mark's perspective. This is important then for us to pay attention to. Uh, it's the first time we see a quote of Jesus here in Mark. So if you look at verse 14, this is what it says. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God or the gospel of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is Jesus' big idea, his, his main point, his thesis statement, whatever you want to call it. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This one commentary put it this way. Everything Jesus says and does from this point flows from this bold claim. So let's unpack this bold claim. I mean, it's what, two, maybe three sentences, depending on how you look at it. The time has come. Time here is kairos time. There's a number of ways to say time in Greek. Think kairos, think fullness of time. Think the moment is now. Think like this is the moment in which things are being set into motion. And then what does that look like? Well, Jesus says, here's what it looks like. It looks like the kingdom of God has come near. And it most certainly has come near, as we see in the chapters and the pages as we keep going. If that phrase, kingdom of God, is new to some people, I know some of us, we've known it for a long time. But if it's new to you, I think the best way to think of it is the reign of God. When God reigns, when King Jesus reigns, things change. The reign of God or the reign of King Jesus, that's a completely new lived reality. We see in the story when Jesus is king, wrong things are made right. When Jesus is king, people are set free. When Jesus is king, people are healed, people are forgiven, people are experiencing something like they'd never experienced before because Jesus is a new kind of king of a new kind of kingdom. So if the moment is now and Jesus is setting everything in motion, the kingdom is near for the reign of his kingdom, what does that mean for the people who are listening to him? If this is true, if, if there's this really important moment happening and the kingdom of God, the new king, the new kind of king of a new kind of kingdom is here, there's two things that Jesus very clearly says it means for those who are listening to him. Repent and believe. Repent and believe the good news, he says. Now, repent and believe are two words that I know I have heard a lot in my life. Uh, but years ago, I was kind of digging into this, and I was like, I, what, is these what do these words mean in the first century context? And I had one of my own experiences of a self-realization of what I call, I do not think it means what I thought it me meant. And if you're a Princess Bride fan, I call these Inigo Montoya moments. If, you're, if you have not seen Princess Bride, I'm so sorry, you... You really, I mean, I don't want to say should, but consider it. But I had this moment where I was reading about these words, and I thought, I don't think these mean what I thought they meant. And whenever you have those moments, which I believe there are a lot when we start to think about theology and scripture, we need to pause and not necessarily be upset that we had a misunderstanding, but maybe we need a broader understanding, maybe a deeper understanding. And if you want to have just like a seminary time, you can just Google the phrase 
theological reductionism and see what happens when we play that out too far. And so I think these are two concepts that have been lent themselves to theological reductionism pretty easily. So let's look at these two words. Repent, if I was going to reduce it to a phrase, I would say turn your mind toward God and believe, live into that new reality. Turn your mind toward God and live into that new reality. When we have a reduced concept of repentance, I think it can lead us to think that that just means we're supposed to feel sorry for doing things that are wrong or sin, or sorry for sin in the world beyond us and and the things that are happening in the brokenness of the world or for doing the wrong thing. And I'm not saying it's not that. Is part of repentance turning away from the things in the world that we know are not of God? Sure. But it literally means to change your mind or to turn your mind. And when you turn your mind toward God and you listen and you look for what God is doing, sure, you might be turning away from something that God doesn't want from you. But the reality is is that the invitation is about turning towards God. That's the number one thing. God is emphasizing the turn towards what God is doing, not the thing you're turning away from. And so it's okay if you feel sorrow and you might need to receive forgiveness. That is a whole other sermon that we can give. But repenting or turning your mind toward God is listening and looking for what God is doing and saying and what God is inviting you into by the power of the Spirit. Okay, so I think of it this way. I'm going in a direction, and the invitation to repent is to stop and to turn my mind towards something else and to look and listen for what God is doing, to stop and turn towards what God might be doing. That's the first one. So then the second thing, believe. Again, I, in my opinion, easily reduced. I do not think this concept means merely an intellectual agreement to something. In the first century, that's just not how people would have thought of something. In the first century, it was just so much more natural to think holistically. But in our Western society, we think like, well, I believe something because I could say, I checked a box that says I believe some statements, right? This is where we are in our context today for many of us. But really here, this is not merely about an intellectual agreement. It would always be something where you're taking action and living into that new reality, You're fully embodied living into the new reality. Okay, so here we go. So if you're going in a direction and you repent, then you're turning your mind towards something. That's actually what we might say is an intellectual shift, right? But then believe is to step into the new reality that you see in front of you. To repent and believe, to turn your mind towards the things of God and then to step into that new reality. And what is the new reality? According to what Jesus says here, the good news, the gospel The good news that Jesus is a new kind of king of a new kind of kingdom and everything changes when he's king. And John the Baptist and then the people of the way make way for Lord Jesus, for the way of Jesus. So if I was going to give you the Pastor Steph translation, there's got to be somebody in here in this room that does not think there should be a Pastor Steph translation this morning. We can talk about it later, but here's my translation of these verses. Okay. Jesus says, it's time for me to begin my reign in the world, and if you want to join in, turn your mind toward what I am doing and follow me. Pastor Steph translation of Mark 1, 14 and 15. Jesus says, it's time for me to begin my reign in the world, and if you want to join in, turn your mind toward what I am doing and follow me. And then we see quick plot Mark starts just, he just moves right on, okay? Jesus' big thesis, and then boom. We're right here in the next, we turn the corner, verse 16, we see four, the first four people, according to Mark, are called as Jesus' disciples, or his mathetes. Two sets of brothers, all fishermen, 
Simon and Andrew and James and John. And Jesus invites these probably relatively young men, we think, to come and follow him. And he gives them this line. And I think this line would have been really cryptic. Just try to put yourself in their situation. He says, come follow me and I'll send you out to fish for people. I imagine one brother whispers to the others, like, probably not with the net, though, right, for the people? Is that what he's saying? What do you think he's saying? I don't know. I think it would have been very confusing. And at once, it says in Scripture, at once and without delay, they drop their nets and they follow Jesus. At once and without delay. Now, one important note for all of us is that scholars of ancient Judaism suggest that it was actually very rare for a rabbi to call his disciples. It was actually unusual. Only the most uh, radical rabbis would actually call their disciples. Instead, people who wanted to be a disciple would look at the different rabbis and try to understand their yoke or their way and figure out, do I want to be like this person or this person or this person? And then they would give, it would be a long discernment process, and then they would appeal to that rabbi, could I be one of your disciples? And maybe they would be chosen by the rabbi to be someone who they could follow. They'd have to decide, the rabbi would decide if they accept them or not. So in this encounter, we see Jesus calls these four fishermen to be disciples. This was radical. This was a radical thing. And what's even more radical, in my opinion, is they drop everything to follow, right? I would have had so many questions. Like, when are we coming back? How far are we going? What do I need to pack? Is it going to be six degrees? Right? Like you'd have more questions about this journey, but they drop everything. And so Jesus calling them is radical. Their willingness to drop everything and follow is radical. But look, looking at the people that Jesus calls as disciples, it goes from kind of radical and kind of unusual to like, I would say, pretty controversial. In my opinion, when we look at the people that Jesus is calling, it would be controversial today. When you look at these men, when you look at these women, it would not be what people would say is like a winning combination for like a team to start a movement. We've got political zealots. We've got a tax collector who's considered a traitor, right? We have rich women with privilege. We have those who've had spiritual trauma, deep spiritual trauma like demonization and other things. It's like Jesus was trying to pick those with the most baggage and then on top of that, picking the people who'd have the most baggage about those people's baggage. All right, so this is, I'm going to read a quote from one of my friends. Uh, he's, he's also a pastor. His name is Dan White. And this is the way he put it, okay? I'm going to submit this to you. This is his quote. This would feel like organizing a small group with a couple of liberal Democrats, some anti-racism protesters, some blue-collar workers, a couple on public assistance, a wealthy Republican who loves capitalism, and a libertarian. And then he goes on to say, Jesus started a polarization-busting movement, a space where foes became friends and political ideologies were traded in for the upside-down kingdom of God. And I think about that quote from Dan, and I think in an honest moment, that is not a small group that I would sign up for. Like, I would not sign up for that group. (laughs) If I were looking to have a discernment process to pick a rabbi, and that was the troop, I'd be like, I'm going to look at maybe the next rabbi on my list. The only reason that this polarization-busting movement could begin is because the, the radical rabbi was the one doing the calling and not the other way around. Do you see that's the only reason why? 
Because if they would have just signed up, they wouldn't have signed up for each other, would they have? But Jesus is the one that was doing the calling. And those who are willing to say yes became resilient disciples so committed to this movement of what God was doing above all their other allegiances that we are sitting here right now. And I've just, you know, there's been several times over the years when I've been in conversations with other pastors, we're always together in these, you're, be glad you're not there, it's just ridiculous. But we're in these rooms and I remember hearing so many times some version of some pastor saying, you know, too much diversity of thought is not going to be very good for growth. Because the more homogeneous the group, the more homogeneity you have, the more people will come. And if you know me, usually that's an opportunity for a little bit of a snarky comment. And I usually say something like, well, I guess it depends on what kind of growth you're hoping for. Because it's not that they're wrong. Homogeneity does get more people in whatever room that you want them in. That's just a fact. But in my opinion, personally, that type of growth is not the type of growth that is as important as the growth of character that comes from being around people that are different than you. It's not the kind of growth that comes from the deep commitment to Jesus and the ability to be a peacemaker even when there's conflict that you have to work through. It's not the kind of growth that I think is so critical that comes from having a shared purpose, not from sameness. So no wonder it's so hard for us to feel like there's belonging and fitting in when we've been conditioned to see sameness as why we belong instead of purpose. And it's a long road. I mean, it takes a lot of perseverance. But I believe that if Jesus called these, this first diverse group of misfits to follow him, then it's possible to be in deep community with the other misfits Jesus followers today. It didn't sound like it was an easy road for them, though. And it's not going to be easy for us either. But haven't you noticed that most things that are meaningful are the most challenging things in life? So I think there's just two applications for this passage today that I'll offer to you. And they're right here. They're from Jesus. <laughs> the two applications, as we try to figure out how to make a way through the wilderness that we live in now, that wilderness looks like a lot of things in a big way and then maybe in a personal way for each of you. But almost all of us or somebody that we're close to feels like they're deep in a wilderness right now. How do we make a way in the wilderness to follow the way of Jesus? Jesus gives us these two things, repent and believe. Repent or turn your mind towards the way of Jesus. I mean, I think we live in a world where it's worth considering what or who is your rabbi. Because there's so many things in the context that we live in where it's forming us, right? And pulling us to be captivated by its way. And they're not even all bad things. You know, the way of our phones, the way of the news we consume, the culture of our workplaces, the expectations for our, from our extended families, all of those things. And those aren't inherently bad, but they're inviting us to be formed, aren't they? So repent, turn our minds towards the things that Jesus is inviting us into. And the good news is, is that when it comes to following this rabbi, we don't have to submit a resume and hope that he picks us because he's already chosen you. He's already invited you to follow. Yes, you, misfit, just like the rest of them. He's invited us to turn our eyes away from the screens and follow him, to turn our ears away from the cable news and follow who Jesus says that we are, to turn from the things that are holding you back and filling you with shame that God says, you don't need any of that stuff. You're forgiven and you're free. And Jesus invites us to follow him. So step one, repent or turn your mind towards the way of Jesus. Step two, live into the way of Jesus. Believe, right? 
Step one, turn your mind towards the way of Jesus. Step two, believe. Live into the way of Jesus. Have you ever seen those um, memes? I'm kind of into memes. Maybe a little bit too much into memes. Maybe some of you are too. Have you seen those memes that are like, I was today years old when? Okay, so like, I was today years old when I learned that the word footage refers to the fact that motion picture film is measured in feet. And you're like, wait, what? That's why we've been saying footage? Okay, or like this one. I realized that this little piggy went to market doesn't mean he was going food shopping. Right? These stories are terrible. Anyway, I like those memes. Because <laughs> I learn, I learn, I learn something. I'll, let me tell you this. I was well into my life of faith when I realized that the way of Jesus was more than just a list of things I wasn't supposed to do and a list of things I better start doing. The way of Jesus, when we look at his life, is listening and responding to the Father. Jesus says in John 15, I do only what I see my father, or John 5, I do only what I see my Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Jesus has a constant reliance on the Father, modeling that reliance on God. And then Jesus sends us the Holy Spirit and says that we can have a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. And the way of Jesus is listening and responding to that Spirit in our everyday life. Sure, that might lead us away from some things we shouldn't be doing because they're holding us back. And that might lead us towards things that are a way of life that might be challenging, but they're good. But at the core of taking up the way of Jesus and believing is listening and responding to Jesus' Spirit in our everyday lives, in our everyday spaces. When we're talking about living into the way of Jesus, we have to resist the temptation to make a list of what to do and not to do. So repentance asks, what is God saying and how can I turn towards that? And belief says, how might I respond? How might I join into that, what God is doing? It's an everyday choice to listen and to join in. So I guess my question for you is just what that next step looks like for you. Honestly, like, what is it the Spirit has been saying to you? Because maybe it is to join one of the things that Jenna said. Like, there's all these opportunities. Maybe it's to go back to therapy. I don't know. <laughs> like, but what is it? If we're listening to the Spirit of Jesus, the invitations are going to be good. Good news. Every time. So, who knows what lies ahead in this wilderness that any one of us, corporately, we're all living in and you are individually. But I don't think the wilderness in front of us is going to have a new GPS anytime soon. I don't think we're going to be given a map for the way in which we need to follow the way of Jesus in this world. I think it's just going to be listening and responding one day at a time, knowing that we're not alone and that other people are with us in it. So I want to just close with this, this vision that I had as I was just praying over the church in our cities. I saw these people who were uh, walking through this wilderness, but they were just making a way, just kind of cutting through the branches. And then they were turning around and they were inviting other people and saying, there is a way through the wilderness. It's not easy and there's bruises and there's cuts, but we can do it. And so I guess I just see this vision of the church here in the Twin Cities making a way in the wilderness that leads others towards the way of Jesus. Not the way of religion, not the way of church, but the way of Jesus. Not being afraid to be honest about the wilderness surrounding us. Not pretending that it's easy or that there hasn't been a lot of bruises and scratches and bumps and trauma and all the things. But we're not giving up. Instead, we're just taking one step 
at a time forward and inviting other people to look and to listen with us, to repent and believe and to step one day at a time. Empowered by the Holy Spirit to be, be people who follow in a conscience dependence on the Holy Spirit one day at a time. So I'm gonna just pray that over you as we close. Jesus, we wanna be people who follow your way, but we come to you as people who see that we are surrounded by wilderness, but that is not new to you. And so we ask God that you would give us ears that can hear your voice, that you would give us eyes to see what you're doing around us in our everyday spaces. And that your Holy Spirit would empower us to take one step at a time, to join in what you're doing, to listen and to respond. It's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you, Steph. Um, We're going to just take a moment of silence and um, create a little space for whatever it is we maybe need to hear in those words to burrow their way into our hearts. Well, friends, if you would stand and receive this blessing as we go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Find us online at or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.